Hey folks, Brian here. I want to thank each and every one of you who has liked, reviewed, rated, and subscribed to Confessions of an Arcade Addict and telling your friends and everything like that. Please keep it going. I just recently went up over 500 likes on Facebook and I'm really, really grateful to each and every one of you. Now on with the show. This is episode number 28 of the Confessions of an Arcade Addict podcast. Uh, let's see, in my neck of the woods, uh, the coronavirus, of course, is ongoing. As we all know, some places in this country are worse off than others uh, because our governor decided to take more of a precautionary measure. Um, things are not quite so bad up here, even though there are hot spots. Uh, across the state uh, one of them from uh, a friend of mine I talked to lives in Grand Rapids that that Grand Rapids is one of them so uh, but in on a good note uh, my favorite place to go the arcade in Brighton uh, they decided to do a soft launch starting on July 8th which I mean excuse me starting on uh, July uh, 10th which was this past Friday, it's now July 11th. Um, they decided to do a soft launch, and of course they have new pro different protocols in place to, you know, uh, mitigate the spread of the coronavirus. So I'll read directly off of their uh, Facebook post, which was posted on Wednesday, the 8th of July. Uh, to quote, hello all. We'd like to announce that we'll be doing a soft opening this weekend. After many lifeless months, we're, all, we're so happy to be able to power up the games and have you all back. To keep everyone as safe and healthy as possible while gaming, we will be implementing new protocols. Everyone's temperature will be taken upon entering, face masks will be required, social distancing will be in action, and we have placed hand sanitizing stations around the gaming floor. Employees will be wearing masks at all times and will be frequently disinfecting all games throughout the day. Face masks can be bought for $1 and gloves are complimentary upon arrival. See, that's how you do it. That's exactly how you do it. I mean, you know, kudos to them. Hats off to them. They are doing this exactly right. Okay, to continue. At this time, we're only permitted to have 50% occupancy inside the building, about 63 people. Uh, so feel free to give us a ring at our phone number to check occupancy status for your safety before coming in. We've brought in some amazing new games during our closed time as well. 
Uh, you can find all the new additions, which includes a Luigi's Mansion sit-in game, a Stranger Things pinballs machine, and many more in one of our previous posts. We thank you for your patience ahead of time, and we hope to see you soon. I immediately liked that statement. Um, one of the things they did, they they got is a Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles LE uh, pinball machine, which is not cheap. Limited editions are really, really expensive. <laughs> um, but yeah, but they do get the newest pinball machines on a regular basis. I mean, like I've said before, and you'll hear it again when I do my arcade review. I love this place. Best best arcade I've been to in a very long time. You know, bar none. So, um, I mean, that's really good news. Um, I'm probably going to wait a little while, maybe a couple of weeks, maybe three weeks until, um, you know, things may have quieted down a little bit more. I might even wait until probably September. You know, I don't know yet. I'm, I may just get the bug. <laughs> oh, <laughs> that's a bad pun. My, my apologies. I may, you know, I may just get the proverbial wild hair and just go up there and show up in mask with, uh, gloves on and, you know, to play the games because it's been that long. I mean, the last time I was at the arcade in Brighton was what, last week of February, I think somewhere around there. I do have an on the road segment. Um, I just can't remember what the date is. So yeah, I'm going to go there, you know, when I feel more comfortable about it. I mean, I feel bad for my, uh, uh, my godson who unfortunately because of his medical issues, I wouldn't even dream about taking him to such a place in such a time. Um, and of course that's disappointing for him, but you know, this is the world we live in now. I mean, yeah. And like I said, I'll have to be feeling a lot more comfortable than I am now to go up there, but we'll see how it goes. Um, let's see. Aside from that, I haven't been doing too much. Um, actually, I've been playing more Nova Drift. Um, I've been playing uh, Elite Dangerous, although I'm at a bit of a, a stopping point, shall I say. Basically, what it is is that um, now that I finished grinding to get the one ship that I really wanted, which for those who play, that is a uh, Imperial uh, Cutter. And it's a beautiful ship. That's one of the reasons why I bought it. Imperial ships are gorgeous. <laughs> uh, those who play Elite Dangerous know what I'm talking about. There are ships that are much more effective for what you need them for. But what can I say? I like pretty ships. Um, but anyway, um, aside from that, um, of course, I've been you know watching my favorite streams on YouTube and you know doing a little research for the show and so forth. But yeah, that's pretty much what's been going on with me. Um, I did a check of emails and voicemails, uh, nothing there. So once again, if you want to ask any questions about anything that I've spoken about in the previous 27 episodes, it's kind of hard to believe I've been doing it for this long. <laughs> yeah, I've been at this for two years now. This is ridiculous. Um, or if there's something that I have said about a game or game system or something along those lines that you may want to ask about or talk about, by all means, get a hold of me at arcadeaddictbrian at gmail.com. 
Also, there is a phone number for voicemails. That number is 734-743-2433. Also, I have social media up and running as we speak. On Facebook, it you just search for Confessions of an Arcade Addict. It'll take you right to the page. There's also a group page for the podcast, and people can... Listeners can ask questions and commiserate amongst themselves or ask me questions. I do check that page every so often. So, you know, there's a strong Facebook presence. Also, I'm on Twitter. The, the nickname is at ArcadeAddict underscore B. On Instagram, it is ArcadeAddictBrian. And Tumblr is Tumblr.com slash blog slash Confessions of an Arcade Addict. So once again, there are plenty of ways to get a hold of the show. And if you are so inclined, by all means, I'm here. So, without any further ado, let's get right into the show. I got a little bit here to talk about, so let's get right into the meat of the show. And that would be Arcade Rundown. Good morning, Mr. Phelps. Your mission, Jim, should you decide to accept it is to make Stefan believe Thompson's information. As always, should you or any of your IM force be caught or killed, the secretary will disavow any knowledge of your actions. This state will self-destruct in five seconds. Good luck, Jim. Arcade Rundown. Marvin's Marvelous Mechanical Museum in Farmington Hills, Michigan. I didn't hear about Marvin's until I ran an internet search in 2017 for arcades in the greater Detroit area. You know, this was probably about five to six months before I really started laying the groundwork to start this podcast. So, you know, when I heard that there was a, you know, a place up in the Farmington Hill slash Novi area, which is kind of ironic because I work up there now, um, you know, when I found out about this, I did a little more digging, and the review, the reviews for the place were almost all positive, so one day I just decided to jump in my car and run up there and check it out. Um, when I got there, it was not what I expected. In a good way, though. Um, the place is fascinating. I mean, you can be, you can go in there and walk around, and you won't you spend a couple of hours in there and you will not find everything that they have on display. When I was giving an overview on the arcades in Michigan, um, way back in a previous episode, I said this place was like stepping into the twilight zone, but in a good way. And I still maintain that statement. Um, you can spend, like I said, you can spend a lot of time just walking around and looking at the old timey games and attractions. You know, some of them are, dating all the way back in like to I want to say like the 1920s or at least they look like it and it was just a wonderful experience and of course they do have arcade games which is the main reason why I was there I was just pleasantly surprised at what else was there um when it comes to the games uh there aren't a lot of them but the selection they have is decent it's a really good cross-section um they do have a more than a few pinball machines and video games, but there's a good representation of the uh, classic arcade games and the newer Stern pinball machines. Um, there are redemption games aplenty in this place, but they're not offensive and in, in, in your face. Um, 
one of the things that the uh, management did that I think is really good is that they put the redemption games on uh, one side of the arcade and the video games uh, up front right by the door. I thought that was a really smart move on their part. Um, the old school mechanical games and attractions are the star of the show here. Make no mistake about it. Uh, this place has had a history in the state of Michigan for years and years from what I understand. Um, I've seen uh, posts on Facebook and I do follow Marvin's on pa Facebook. Um, there are people who've been going to this place since uh, they were teenagers and you know now they're in their 40s and 50s. You know, so yeah, Marvin's has been around for quite some time. I mean, the place is the place is really good. Um, do they not have a lot of machines? No, but considering there's so much else there to draw the eye and attract your attention, I'm more than willing to give it a pass. Of course, I'll be giving an arcade review of Marvin's uh, coming soon, so stay tuned. Um, I did go there, um, oh goodness, how long ago was it? It was like, oh, I want to say it was like late February, early March of 2019. And I do have some vocal notes that, uh, from which I did my arcade review. And I think I was fair uh, in my review, but, you know, see for yourself. Uh, it's coming in an upcoming episode. I want to say that is episode 39 there will be a review for Marvin's in there. So, you know, take a listen. If you agree, cool. If you don't agree, hey, get a hold of me, arcadeaddictbrian at gmail.com. Tell me why. Um, and, of course, if you've got any uh, stories to share about your experience at Marvin's, good, bad, or indifferent, by all means, yeah, get a hold of me. Let me know because I want to know. And I'll read your email on the show, and we'll go from there. All right. With Marvin's out of the way, let's move on to our next segment. Let's go into the top tens. Top tens. Arcade games of 1992. Okay, at this point, I'm 23 years old. And like I said in the top tens for 1991... My arcade experiences are coming few and far between, um, like maybe every other month now. Um, I'm hanging out with my gaming crew a little less, which kind of annoyed me at the time, even though there's nothing I could do about it. I mean, most of these dudes were younger guys. Um, you know, when I first met them, they were like sophomores, juniors and seniors in high school. And, you know, now that I've been hanging out with them for a couple of years, you know, a lot of them graduated and they were looking towards college. So we weren't getting together to, you know, play D&D, to play Battletech, to play Shadowrun as much anymore. It was kind of depressing. I mean, and aside from that, you know, um, you know, like I've said, you know, I'm not able to get out to Milford Wreck very often or Arnie's place or anything like that. Uh, mostly in 1992, I'm still working at my other job. Um, I wasn't enjoying my life in my hometown anymore. Um, I was getting more and more frustrated by things that were happening 
not only to me but around me and um after thinking about it and after a couple of not very good things happening to me in this year i this is when i decided to uh make the move and leave my hometown because you know nothing was working for me down here um or in bridgeport i should say um uh, the summer of 1992, I went to um, Melbourne, Florida, and then stayed with some friends that I had made online a couple of years before. And when I went down there, you know, I just felt better. Um, you know, life, I guess you could say in Melbourne, Florida in the early 90s was simpler. I mean, I'm not trying to you know, insult the place, but yeah, it was, you know, a little bit simpler, you know, the pace of life was nowhere near as fast or as complicated as living in Bridgeport was, you know, I felt a connection to those friends that I had made and we met face to face at, um, get togethers, uh, in the park and, you know, um, parties at, you know, uh, people's houses and so forth. And that's when I just said, you know what? you know, I think it's time for me to leave the nest. I think I've stayed at home for just a little too long. And if my mother was still alive, may she rest in peace, she would probably have said the same thing. So yeah, that was pretty much what, where my headspace was uh, going through the year 1992. Um, okay, getting to the games. Um, once again, these are in no particular order. Uh, I just felt that these, out of these games that came out in 1992, these were uh, the best that I had played. So here we go. Arrow Fighters. I love this game. It, it's a vertical scrolling shooter. Um, I think SNK licensed it. I want to say Psycho, which is a game company uh, in Japan. I think they're the ones who made it. I could look it up, but, you know, it's late. I'm lazy. <laughs> so I'm just going to go by what I remember, whether it be incorrect or not. Um, I liked it because it's one another one of those games where you can pick the kind of fighter you want to use. And um, each one has a different array of firepower and it gets the job done in different in a different fashion. Um, because it was, it wasn't a very long game. I never beat Arrow Fighters, but I have seen a video on YouTube of someone who did. I think it was, um, uh, there's a channel on YouTube called Replay Burners, and they get, uh, videos from people who are, who either, you know, beat a game or, uh, put a ridiculously high score on a game that doesn't end and blah, blah, blah. And, uh, the guy that put up this score he put up a really good one i mean basically it's one of those where you have to beat the game twice and because um the you have a selection of like i think four different uh aircraft so you have there's a lot of replayability with that game so if you beat the game with one particular pilot in a fight in his fighter you can come back and pick another one and go the same way so yeah, Arrow Fighters. I mean, it's a really good Japanese shooter. Um, once again, with as with most Japanese shooters, I mean, it's not difficult as difficult as some, but with um, which was typical for most Japanese shooters, they would get uh, progressively harder as you complete stages. I mean, by the time you get to like the 
third or fourth stage in the game. Um, there's a lot of uh, bullet hell uh, aspects to the game. I know that's a modern uh, term for something that's been around in Japanese shooters since probably the 80s or so, but it still works. Um, I, I like this game. I, pl I play it in emulation every once in a while. Um, I haven't been able to find an arcade near me that has a machine, but if I, if I knew of one, I'd play it. Um, Lethal Enforcers. I was never a big fan of this game, but I can see why see the appeal. Um, it's a rail shooter uh, from Konami, I want to say. Um, as a matter of fact, I've got my name open. Let's take a look. Yeah, Konami. They made it. 1992. Okay. Um, it's basically your stereotypical uh, uh, cop shooter where you have to shoot all the bad guys without shooting any of the hostages in a particular situation on a screen. Uh, the first one is a bank robbery where you have to shoot all of the uh, bad guys without shooting any of the uh, you know hostages who will pop out from desks or run across the screen and so forth. And it continues on from there. I only played it a few times. I was never really big on rail shooters. I think I've said that, but it wasn't a bad game. It wasn't, it wasn't horrible. Um, it was a live action. Uh, it was shot in live with live action uh, models and so forth. You know, so it's, you know, of course the movement of the uh, bad guys and the hostages is stunted because of course this is the early nineties. Um, you know, motion capture is has not uh, gotten to where it is today, 28 years later. But yeah, it wasn't a bad game. It just wasn't my cup of tea. But I put this on the top 10 because anytime I walked into, like, the few times I went to Milford Wreck or a couple of times where I would see it, you know, out in the wild somewhere, you know, people were playing it. So I give it there. I give it to its credit here. Mortal Kombat. <laughs> what can, what do I have to say? It's Mortal Kombat. <laughs> um, it was an evolutionary fighting game in 1992. I mean, of course, when it came out, it immediately was compared with Street Fighter and the two camps and two ideologies of which game was better started in the arcades and it only got worse as both of these games got translated into the uh home sectors so you know i was never really big on mortal Kombat. by this time i played street fighter 2 so much that it was a major uh change in the way i played fighting games and I didn't really want to uh, invest the money to get really good at Mortal Kombat. I was okay with it. I mean, of course, you know, you had, your, you know, it was a fighting game, but the main attraction, of course, was the fatalities. And it was fun to blow up your enemy or reduce him to, you know, a skeleton or to uh, rip it or rip his head and his spine out of his body and so forth and so on. Um, but yeah, it was, I mean, when, if I, there were two, if there's a Mortal Kombat machine and a Street Fighter 2 machine, I'd play Street Fighter. That's just me. I give it, it's just due and all the respect in the world, but it wasn't a preference of mine. So yeah, Mortal Kombat. I mean, 
when the Mortal Kombat movie came out in 1994. Um, that remains to me the all-time video game movie translation. <laughs> Infinitely better than Super Mario Brothers. I mean, light years better than Double Dragon um, in almost any other video game uh, tr movie that came out. Of course, Mortal Kombat Annihilation, which came out in, what, 1997? That was not so good. Um, they tried to do too much with that movie, and unfortunately, it took away from the genius that was the Mortal Kombat movie. Okay, Outrunners. This is the sequel to Outrun. And with this one, now you have a selection of vehicles to drive along these tracks. And it's like OutRun, you know, it takes out what OutRun was and, ramp, and takes it up a notch. Uh, the turns are sharper. The, uh, the hill uh, effects are stronger or deeper, should I say. I mean, it basically took from um, Super Hang-On and it really, you know, took that it took that engine. Uh, as it turns out, I've been calling it the wrong name for so so long. It wasn't mode mode four; it was mode sixteen, <laughs> uh, which was you know I talk about it in the Sega Genesis um, uh, segment I did in Home Systems. But yeah, um, so yeah, the graphics are a little cheesier. They're not quite as realistic. That kind of takes away from. The game because it's actually a, a better game than Outrun was, and Outrun was fantastic. It's just the uh, they went more cartoony, and it sort of takes away from the game. So yeah, Outrunners, um, Street Fighter Two, Hyper Fighting, and Street Fighter Two Champion Edition. Okay, I'll go with Champion Edition first. I mean, hands down, bar none, this is my favorite fighting game of all time. Um. I remember when Crazy 8's arcade got this game and I was blown away. I mean, I was already big into Street Fighter 2, but this game was much more I want I don't want to say fair, but it was a lot better balanced. I mean, not only could you play the four bosses now and of course I was immediately drawn to Sagat because I have always been a big fan of Thai kickboxing, and of course the movie uh, Bloodsport, or excuse me, not Bloodsport, Kickboxer, the movie Kickboxer had something to do with it as well. So um, yeah, so I was immediately drawn to Sagat, and he's been my favorite character to play in Street Fighter 2 Champion Edition. When I was playing Street Fighter 2, uh, more often than not, I played with Chun-Li. Um, and I still played with her. I still played with her in Champion Edition, but I got more satisfaction playing Sagat. Um, so yeah, it's basically now instead of what is it, eleven or excuse me, twelve fights. Now there are sixteen. Um, you go through, or excuse me, yeah, sixteen, because you actually do the Aliax, as my former roommate calls it, which is the mirror image of your own character. You fight that one as well, and. Um, it was just, it's just one of the best all-time fighting games. Now, Hyper Fighting takes Street Fighter 2 Champion Edition and makes it even, it just, it, of course, with the Hyper Fighting, there's a speed up 
which immediately kind of, you know, uh, kept me away from it because I was too used to fighting in Champion Edition. So I couldn't, you know, I didn't spend the money to kind of upgrade or not upgrade, but to improve my uh, fighting skills. And with hyper fighting, each character came with uh, separate or you know, different attacks. Um, Chun Li got a fireball, which was interesting. Um, you know, and just there was a lot more action. Of course, it was faster. And you know, I played it every once in a while, but yeah, Champion Edition, Champion Edition is my jam. There's just no getting around it. And ask anybody who knew me back then; they would tell you that. Time killers. <laughs> what can be said about this game that hasn't been said already? Um, this is a hyper-violent game that really caused a stir uh, amongst the more conservative uh, constituents of our country. Um, it's a very, very violent game where you take one of, I think it's eight warriors from different areas in time, and you want and you go to defeat the others now what makes it so violent is is that um if you've got like say uh, a knight with a sword or a samurai or a uh, viking warrior with an axe you can lock lop off limbs and things like that and of course there's plenty of blood i mean this game doesn't hide the fact that it's extremely violent just like the uh just like a uh, mortal Kombat didn't do they didn't hide it either. I mean, in the attract mode, at least with Mortal Kombat, um, you didn't know that you could, you know, uh, finish somebody and, you know, rip their spine out or uh, blow them up and leave just a charred skeleton on the ground and things like that. But yeah, <laughs> yeah, this game got a lot of flack for being, being as violent as it was. Total Carnage. Yeah, this one basically took the premise of Robotron and its more or less sequel and made it this cheesy, like, ultra-hyper 80s kind of movie where you're a soldier trying to rescue reporters and defeat the general. Uh, and, yeah. <laughs> it's so silly. I love the game, but it is so silly. It's ridiculous. Um... Of course, it was dual control, dual fire control, and, you know, you could pick up power-ups and things to, uh, you know, uh, increase your score and so forth and do uh, power up your player. So, yeah, it's, yeah, total carnage. It's about as aptly named as a video game ever could be, especially in that time. <laughs> um, X-Men, <laughs> what can I say about this game? You know, like uh, Captain America and the Avengers before it, it was a much better beat 'em up. Um, of course, the best machine that you could play would be the six-player machine. I think I'm trying to remember. Uh, Crazy Eights Arcade had an X-Men machine. I think uh, Milford Rec had an X-Men machine for sure. And I think they had a six-player one because there was one for two players, one for four, and one for six. Um, you, know, you take one of the uh, one of the X-Men, of course. Which character you took was dependent upon the uh, uh, coin slot that you inserted your coin, your your quarter, or your token in. 
Um, you had, let's see if I can remember all of them. You had X, you had, excuse me, Cyclops, Wolverine, Colossus, uh, Nightcrawler, Storm, and I can't remember the sixth one. I think the sixth one was Dazzler. I think that's who it was. Um, and of course you're trying to defeat Magneto and his Brotherhood of Evil Mutants. I mean, it's a great beat-em-up game, uh, some, sometimes hard, sometimes unfair, but that's kind of how it was back in the day, <laughs> especially when it came to beat-em-ups. You know, like I said, a lot of these games, and I think I did an on-the-road segment about it, which will be in a future uh, episode, of course, uh, talking about, uh, you know, games that turned into quarter eaters. Yeah, they were just designed to get as much money as from you as possible. Um, but yeah, I'll leave that alone because I did a whole rant on it. Uh, and finally, Grindstormer. This was a game I didn't play until I want to say like the mid 90s, like 95 or 96. I'm trying to remember what arcade had it. I think, I think the uh, Fashion Square Mall Arcade in Orlando had it. I think that's where I saw it. Um, but yeah, it's a Japanese shooter, which is, you know, typical of most Japanese shooters, you know, beating boss, uh, ships and boss, uh, tanks and so forth, you know, defeating a whole bunch of, uh, enemy planes and ground targets, that kind of stuff. But I liked it. It, it just seemed different to me. Um, you know, where you, when you picked up your power ups, uh, you would get like these, um, pods that. I forget how you could reposition them on your fighter, but you could reposition them so that you could have a, a wider arc of fire, or I think you could put them up front so they could absorb enemy uh, projectiles that were aimed at you in that direction, so forth and so on. But yeah, I liked it a lot. You know, it's a it's a fun little shooter. I went back to it recently and I forgot how much fun it is because I hadn't played it in so long. And there's only one game in honorable mentions, and that's G.I. Joe. Um, of course, being a child of the 70s and 80s, uh, who didn't remember the G.I. Joe cartoon and the G.I. Joe uh, comic book and action figure uh, series before then? Um, G.I. Joe came out in 1982. Uh, Marvel had a good long run with the comic book, I want to say until like 1986, I think, maybe even longer than that. Um, but to coincide with the comic book, Hasbro put out uh, the G.I. Joe action figures. God only knows I know it because I had a lot of them. <laughs> As a matter of fact, I still have them. They're in my closet buried somewhere. I never got rid of them. Um, and... With this game, it's this uh, 3D, um, 3D, uh, not isometric, but it is a 3D uh, oncoming game. Everything is in front of you and coming at you. And you can take uh, one of the Joes. I think each one has uh, slightly different attributes as far as their firepower goes. And you run through these areas and, and defeat Cobra. That's what it is. You fight, you're fighting Cobra, the enemy, <laughs> the entire time. It wasn't a bad game, but like I said, this is another game that just seemed to be a quarter eater. You know, it just seemed to be uh, the difficulty would ramp up really high and it would be just um, 
so difficult that you know you couldn't last more than like a couple of minutes before you'd run out of lives and then you'd be plopping more quarters or tokens in so yeah there were a lot of games that kind of left me a little disillusioned left me a little cold if you will uh about you know video arcade video games in the early 90s but yeah this was one of them but i mention it here because it was actually when you could actually play it and you got actually good at it which of course required you know quite a bit of a uh investment uh it was it was a passable game i do have to say that uh so yeah gi joe and those are my top tens um if you were going to arcades back in 1992 and one of your favorite games is not on this list hey tell me about it you know i'll revisit it and we'll talk about it arcade addict brian at gmail.com Okay, let's go on to time for some strategy. What happened? Come with that tactics, Mr. Ryan. Oh, I never should have doubted you, boss! There's a plan in everything, kid. And I love it when a plan comes together. Hey, it's about time for me to employ... Time for some strategy, Ms. Pac-Man. Now, I know that I did a uh, Are You Experience for Ms. Pac-Man way back, I think, in like episode five or something like that. You'll have to forgive me. I'm in my car, so uh, I don't have all my information at hand, or at least I can't get to it without putting myself at risk, which I'm not going to do. Um, full disclosure, I'm at work, I'm driving my route, and this just came to mind while I was driving around and uh, thinking about Ms. Pac-Man while I, was, while I was driving. So, here we are. Um, as the uh, Wikipedia page said, if I'm not mistaken, you know, uh, they've randomized some of the ghosts patterns when they first come out of their home on le- on you know each uh, each maze and usually that's uh, inky or not inky sorry blinky and pinky those are the two that sometimes they'll come out and they'll just go uh, almost literally anywhere um, every so often they will do the four corners which means pretty much every ghost in a corner of the maze before they do the first reversal that meaning they're moving around then all of a sudden they'll reverse their field and then they'll start coming after you um, usually I take that time of course playing a regular Ms. Pac-Man is radically different than playing a hyper Ms. Pac-Man I mean, with Hyper Miss Pac-Man, you have such a speed advantage that, you know, it's ridiculous that half the time, unless you're just not paying attention, that if you lose lives, it's because you meant to go up, uh, you meant to go, you know, you're going, say, right or left, and you mean to go up, and you miss the turn, 
and you run right into a ghost or sometimes you trap yourself, which I've done on a Hyper Miss Pac-Man. Um, so let's break it down. Um, you know, like I said, of course, you've got Inky, Blinky, Pinky, and Sue. And um, I think it goes like this. Blinky will always chase after you and try to take the most direct route to you. Pinky will do that sometimes, but every once in a while, he'll try and trap you. Inky is the exact opposite. Sometimes he'll chase after you, but most of the time, he'll try to move ahead, you know, in the direction you're going or try to figure out a way to cut, cut off your avenues of escape. And then Sue is completely random which can work to your advantage if you've got the bravery to do so. Um, so, like I said, most of the time, um, you know, it, it, it goes, it happens more often as, you're, uh, as you progress through the mazes and you go through Acts 1, 2, and 3. Um, like I said, they'll go out, they'll go out of their home as you're eating dots, and then they'll either go to the four corners, or sometimes uh, Blinky and Pinky will go to, uh, a, you know, a different part of the maze, and they'll do their run around before the first reversal. Um, what I usually do, especially in the first two mazes, meaning, or excuse me, the first four mazes. Let's, well, take that back. Make it, was it? Cherry, strawberry, peach, peach, pretzel, and apple. First five. Okay. Um, this is always a, a pro tip. Always in the beginning of a maze, when you start, try to take care of the problem areas first. The problem areas are these uh, sections of the maze where there's only one way in, and one way out. And if you linger in these areas, the ghost will surround you, trap you, and you'll lose a life. You always try to take care of them first. Um, sometimes with, uh, depending on how uh, Pinky and Blinky, where they go, sometimes you may not be able to do it, um, but it's always a good idea to take care of these areas first. Um, and of course, as you're eating dots, you know, the fruits will come out, grab them as you, you know, if you can, don't try to eat too many dots while one fruit is out because you'll miss the second one. So the best way to do it is to just try to not make a beeline for the fruit when it comes out. But if you're in the vicinity, try and grab it as quickly as possible without trapping yourself by the ghost. Um, that's harder in a normal speed Ms. Pac-Man as opposed to a hyper speed, but there it is. Um, and then once you take care of at least most of the problem areas, um, then you want to start luring, trying to lure the ghosts to a particular side of the maze and towards where you're, you're going to go for your power pellets, be it upper upper and lower left or upper or and lower right it all depends i think there's a way you can actually uh run the maze to where you can lure the ghosts into one particular spot and it's like completely natural you're not 
breaking off of a quote-unquote pattern in order to go to a power pellet to lure them there. Um, one of the things that I would do and one of the things I learned early on when I first started playing this game in 1981 is that um, the best way to lure the ghosts in the first two mazes, the easiest way to lure them in is to use the tunnel, which is basically just, or tunnels, I should say. The first maze has four tunnels. Um, the easiest way to do that is to use the four tunnels to lure them in. And that means just kind of chilling out in right near the ton right near the top left or the top right tunnel and using that to lure them to one side of the maze. You don't want to let them get too close um, to where they follow you through the maze or through the tunnel to get to the other side of the maze, even though when they go into the tunnel, they slow down quite a bit. Um, so what you want to do is, as soon as you've got pretty much all four ghosts on one side of the maze, you want to make a beeline to one of the power pellets, be the upper or lower side. Um, stay there until they're almost upon you, then eat it, then chase them down. Um, with uh, Ms. Pac-Man, they also are very, they can be evasive to where if you're chasing them in a line and there are avenues for them to go to try to escape you, they'll try to take it. If you take, if you're chasing like multiples in a line, one will take that way, one will take that one way to get out. The other one will continue to force you to make a choice to chase them down. I mean, of course, with a hyperspeed Ms. Pac-Man, you know, especially on the first, what, four mazes, you have pretty much all the time in the world to chase them down and eat them. Um, so after you eat them, you make a beeline for the next power pellet, uh, stay there, let them converge on your location, eat the power pellet, chase them down. Same thing. All four. And then... Um, and then, you know, finish whatever dots are left in the maze and get off of it. Don't mess around. Um, okay, I'm at a stop, so I need to pause this. I shall return. Okay, I'm back. All right. Um, second maze is the same thing, except the ghosts get a little more aggressive. And I don't remember how many dots it is, but I think once you consume more than, say, two-thirds of the dots in the maze... Blinky starts speeding up, and that's going to be how it is for the rest of the game. Um, he starts moving faster than the other ghosts, and he gets more aggressive with his movements. So, it's pretty much the same thing, except for the uh, strawberry, which is 300, or excuse me, not 300 points, 200 points, and the duration of the Power pellets turning the ghost purple or blue. It's like a purplish blue to me. I could be colorblind, but I don't think so. Um, the, the duration is slightly shorter. Um, and it's the same exact thing. Take care of the problem areas first. You know, there there's one particular problem area at the top of the screen in the first maze, which is a classic ghost trap area. So you want to take care of that and eat all those dots in that area before the first reversal start, hits. Um, there is a second reversal. I should have mentioned that. 
I don't remember how long it is, but it's about, oh goodness, I want to say another minute, maybe minute and a half after the first reversal. Then once that's done, then, then it's like, you know, it's game on. It's a free for all. Um, let's see. Uh, yeah, like I said, Blinky gets faster once you consume a certain amount of dots in the maze. And then, um, starting with the peach stage, going through the apple, or going through the pretzel stage, and then the apple stage, Blinky has, like, another gear. So I think it's, like, two-thirds of the, uh, dots in the maze is the first one where he speeds up, and then I think it's three-quarters or something like that where he speeds up again, where he gets really fast. I mean, the speed that he, which he moves, especially if you're playing a normal speed Miss Pac-Man, yeah, that, he's really, really dangerous at that point. Um, like the uh, Wikipedia said that because they send the ghost, the ghosts, you know, sometimes go to a certain section of the maze seeming almost at random, um, you know, it sort of negates the need to memorize patterns. Even though my pattern is, like I've been saying, you take care of the problem areas first, and then you go from there. And it, it's the first four screens you shouldn't get through. I mean, if you're with a little practice, you can get through the first four screens without losing a life. Um... You know, once you get through the cherry, the strawberry, the pretzel, and the apple, I mean, the cherry, strawberry, peach, and pretzel stages without losing a life. Um, with the pretzel stage, um, well, let me break that, let me break down the, the blue maze because there are a lot more problem areas to take care of. Um, my quote unquote pattern is to go left from the starting point and up to the first problem area which is like this one long twisty uh section of the maze where there's only one way in and one way out so that's a classic area for the ghost to trap you in i mean i've had that happen more often than i care to admit while i was learning how to play the game um i take care of the one on the left first and then i come back around and start going up towards the top and I take care of the two big time problem areas of the blue maze which are just above the ghost's home um, one is this long and twisty section again one way in and one way out and then on the top of that there's another one that kind of looks like the area in the first maze you know same kind of thing and I try to get those taken care of before anything else. And you know, I start trying to, you know, I start going ghost hunting, so to speak. Um, once you get those areas taken care of, um, you want to take care of that one problem area on the right at one point or another. But um, uh, the peach stage, the you know, the, the uh, timing of, you know, the, the timing of the ghosts turning blue is a little shorter 
the pretzel stage is shorter than is about I think about the same if not maybe a second or two shorter and then the apple stage is much shorter it's I think it's basically like five to seven seconds or something like that I've got um, score how to top how to beat the top 16 video games and uh, the author of that breaks it down to where he has um, how long the ghosts stay blue uh, what's the maximum amount of points you can earn in a particular maze and what the average is for points on those mazes I mean it, it's really really you know I like the way he broke it down it's really interesting to read and it also kind of gives you something to shoot for once you've got the confidence and knowledge to uh, go for it okay so the three blue mazes same kind of thing I think with the yeah I think with the the pretzel stage that's when blinky gets that extra gear after you consume like three quarters of the dots in the maze he kicks into another gear and he gets really fast really aggressive um, just avoid try to avoid getting trapped and uh, you know try to get as many points from the ghost as can this is where uh, from the pretzel onward until you get to the pear stage which I'll talk about in a minute um, um, from that point you just want to eat as many ghosts as is feasible not what you think you can do because this is when uh, when you get greedy they can change back to their normal forms and you can lose a life because you're just about to eat one and then they turn back and yeah you're done I still suffer from that from time to time. Um, but yeah, starting with the pretzel stage, unless you have them like right there, um, I would not advise chasing uh, more than three of them. And then in the apple stage, I wouldn't suggest chasing more than two unless they are like all like right there, like right on the line. And you can get them within the uh three two to three seconds that they are not two to three the three to five seconds that they will be uh vulnerable so once again same thing take care of the problem areas first um and then uh try to you know lure the ghosts in as close as possible you know get as many points as you can and finish the stage don't screw around especially if you're playing a normal speed miss pac-man if you're playing a hyper speed you can mess around for a little while but there's really no point to it if you've eaten all the power pellets and uh you've gotten as many points as you can just finish the maze and get on with it uh after the apple stage is act two which is called the chase and i should say that after um the second uh normal first the second uh iteration of the first maze you have they meet where pac-man and miss pac-man meet they're immediately attracted to each other and then with act two is the chase where they're basically chasing each other around in sort of this i would say a pac-man mating ritual <laughs> it's kind of funny to me um now now you start in with the third maze which can be really can be really tough um right away just below your starting point is a major league problem area 
and every game of Ms. Pac-Man I play, when I get to this stage, I immediately take care of it so I don't have to mess around in that area for the rest of the, the rest of my time in that maze. I immediately take care of it. It's a long, uh, twisting tunnel that doubles back on itself. But yeah, if you go in there, you're going to get trapped. <laughs> That's just how it is. Every once in a while, which would really irritate me and mess with my head a little bit every so often i don't know how often it is but blinky will go down there you know once he comes straight out of his home and or it comes up you know he starts at the top of his home the other three ghosts are in in the house so to speak um blinky will come straight down uh, you know and he'll go in there while you're trying to clear it out and i've been so irritated hated by that because that that screws up my pattern um basically what it is i take care of that problem area then i go once i come back up out of that tunnel i go to the right and go up and go up near where the tunnel is the major difference between this maze and the other three mazes is this one only has uh two tunnels one on the left one the upper left one the upper right and you can only, you know, and uh, starting with, I think, the pretzel stage, when ghosts go into the tunnel, they don't slow down anymore. So they go in, when they go in and they're chasing you, they're going full speed. So you have to remember that when it comes to uh, the pear stage, same thing. Um, there's a problem area at the very top, of, top center of the, the maze. And usually I go right to that place and I eat those dots in that area so I don't have to go there again either unless I absolutely have to. Um, after that, I come back, I go across the top of the stage, come over. Um, by the time I get to close to the problem area, when I'm clearing it out, the pair will come out. The pair, was, of course, is worth 2,000 points. Um, then... Uh, I, if I'm playing hyperspeed Ms. Pac-Man, I will make a beeline for it. If I'm playing normal speed, I'll kind of just kind of work my way, way around to it. And then I'll eat it. And then um, the lower left and the lower right portions of the maze where the power pellets are, dot, there's like um, two paths and, and dots down there. So you got to clear some of those out before the ghosts converge on your position. Uh, once you eat the power pellet, um, the time that the ghosts remain blue is almost, it's, it's like one or two seconds short of how it is on the first maze. So you have a little time, but usually I will just chase them down and eat them all. I try to get maximum points on, on this stage. Um, so after you do that, or at least you get all the ghosts that are close to you, Go back, clear all the dots out of the out of those out of that problem area, because even though there are two ways to get in and out of that area, the ghosts are really good at splitting up and trapping you. Um, there have been a couple times where they've like done it like perfectly, where one ghost will come in from the top of that area, one ghost will come in and go to the first ledge, and the third third ghost will go down to the next ledge. So you have literally no way out unless you have a power pellet there. Um, okay. Uh, same thing. Blinky gets faster. 
Um, I think he reaches his max speed either on this stage or the banana stage. It's either apple, pear, or banana. I cannot remember which. I'm doing this straight off of the top of my dome, straight off of memory, so I may be wrong about some things. But I'm doing the best I can, of course. Okay, I'm pulling into a stop, so I'm going to pause it here. I shall return. Okay, I'm back. So, yeah, like I said, there's a lot more to worry about in this stage and um, as far as getting trapped by the ghosts. Uh, moving on, same maze, now it's the banana stage. Um, now, you know, it's the same thing. Uh, take care of that one area at the bottom center first, then watch Inky, or excuse me, Blinky and Pinky, and you know, where they go kind of dictates where you should go. Um, if they're going towards the upper right area of the maze, which is where you'll be heading, um, which is where you'll be heading uh, when you come out of that one problem area and you're heading up the right side of the maze. Uh, what you wanna do then is uh, just go to the tunnel, go through the tunnel to the left side of the screen and try to eat as many dots in the uh, left side of the screen as possible before they do their first reversal. Um, uh, now the banana will come out. The banana is worth 5,000 points. Um, make sure you eat them. <laughs> you know, and that's going to be... Um, well, I'll get to it. I'll get to it. Um, same kind of things, except now... Depending on the difficulty level the machine is set at, because um, I've seen on the first banana stage, I've seen uh, when you hit the power pellet, the ghost will stay uh, vulnerable for like five seconds. Um, and I've also seen it where they'll be, they'll be vulnerable for like two seconds or two or three seconds, something like that. It all depends on difficulty level. Um, so... As you're, you know, like I said, same exact things, take care of problem areas, try to eat as many ghosts as you can without endangering yourself, avoid getting trapped, same kind of thing. Um, then uh, after, let's see, banana, then I think two more mazes after that, same exact thing, wash, rinse, repeat. All you gotta do is just, like I said, pay attention to where Pinky and Blinky are going at the beginning of the maze and act accordingly um and at the third banana stage um you want to be careful because the ghost will only stay vulnerable for like two to three seconds even you know even if that so you got to really be careful about that usually at this point unless they're like very, very close to me, and I can eat at least three of them without endangering myself, I will just eat the power pellet and just finish, and try to finish out, finish out the maze. Um, then after the third banana stage comes act three, which is junior. So that basically tells me that Pac-Man and Ms. Pac-Man have gotten together, gotten married, because here comes the stork with baby Pac-Man. 
or junior Pac-Man, if you will. Um, which of course, <laughs> you know, which of course made a spin, made two spinoffs almost at the exact same time. No, not at the exact same time. Um, junior Pac-Man or baby Pac-Man came out in 1982. Junior Pac-Man came out in 1983. So those were the two sequels born off of that. Um, so now you're in the blue maze. And this one, ugh, this one's a little tricky. Um, usually what I do while I'm paying attention to ink, uh, Blinky and Pinky, I go to the left side of the stage, just or go to the left side of the stage, come back around to the bottom left, and then go up the right side of the maze and try to take care of the major problem area, which is this, which is... Uh, almost the entire top level of the screen. Um, there is a little turnaround area literally right above where the ghost's home is, and that's the hardest area to clear out unless, of course, uh, the ghosts are being obliging with uh, their movements before the first reversal. Um, and... Uh, this one, I think the duration of the power pellets turning those vulnerable is about the same as the peach stage. So you've got probably about, eh, I'd say probably about seven to six to seven, six to eight seconds to take care of the ghosts. So you can actually rack up some points here. And also speaking of points, now from this stage forward, the fruits that come out are completely random. Um... And this, more, almost more than anything else, what fruits come out from this stage forward determines what your score is going to be because that's going to be the major source of your points, especially once you get, get past, like, the, get to, like, the third uh, blue stage, which would uh, trigger the second junior intermission. Uh, but I'll get there in a second. Um, there, like I said, the best thing to do is to clear out the problem areas, lure the ghosts in, eat as many as you can, and clear out the dots as quickly as possible. This is where playing a hyperspeed Ms. Pac-Man really starts to come into its own because you can use the speed of your Ms. Pac-Man as a massive advantage. I mean, even more so than the other three mazes um, because there are so many... In this one, there are so many ways to get trapped, and even you can even get trapped in the tunnels most often. You know, if you're messing around on a particular side of the maze, the ghosts start converging on it before you go into the tunnel to go on the other side of the maze. Some of them will actually enter in on the opposite side, and of course you'll have ghosts chasing you from your point of entry so you end up getting trapped and killed you know there have been times i don't know how it happens but i i want to say maybe out of the hundreds and hundreds and hundreds maybe even thousands of times i've played miss pac-man since 1981 there are some times where you go into a tunnel and the, you go up you go and the ghost is coming at you from the other side and you will come out the other side and not lose a life. I think out of the thousands of times that I've played Ms. Pac-Man, I think that's happened maybe like three to five times. 
<laughs> and each time it shocks it shocks me, you know, to the core because I'm like, what? Why am I not dead? And then it takes me a couple of seconds to kind of uh, gather my wits and continue to play because it's such it's such a boggle. Um, so, like I said, with the blue tunnels, there are four tunnels, but it's basically they're right on top of each other in the center of the maze. And that's a good way to lose ghosts who are chasing you is to go into like a, a top or a bottom one on one side of the maze and turn right around and go on the bottom one, uh, you know, and go back, double back the way you came, except now you're on the bottom tunnel. And half the time, you the ghost will just completely lose you and you're able to escape, you know, a possible trap. But they will trap you in the tunnels if you linger too long. Um, let's see. Uh, second blue stage. Now it's the same exact thing, except now the power pellet duration is only like one to two seconds. I think it's like two seconds. Um, and now you basically want to lure P or Blinky towards the power pellets every time and eat him because he represents the biggest threat by far. You know, yeah, you can get caught by any of the other three ghosts, but as long as you kind of try to think one or two steps ahead as to where you're going and where the ghosts are going, going to try to catch you, you know, yeah, you can pretty much evade most traps. Um, now that's the hardest part about learning how to master Ms. Pac-Man is that learning and knowing where the ghosts are going to go and anticipating their movements and acting accordingly. That's the real, uh, that's the real, um, um, criteria for mastering this game. Because once you do this, um, you can pretty much play indefinitely as long as you don't, you know, you just don't get yourself in bad situations. Easier said than done, especially once you get to the last blue maze. Depending on the difficulty setting, this is where it starts getting really hard because now when you eat a power pellet, all it does is reverse the ghost's field. If one of them's behind you and chasing you, uh, once you eat a power pellet, they will reverse field and go the opposite direction. Um, at this point, um, at this point, you really have to just uh, go for clearing the maze as quickly as possible. Um, clear the problem areas. Uh, now, now, uh, basically, you go for power pellets, eat them immediately, as long as there's no ghosts, you know, in front of you. Um, and just kind of keep an internal clock as to when the second reversal is. Because there have been times <laughs> playing this game where I've cut it a little, cut it way too close. And um, I'll hit a power pellet to reverse them. But it's right at the time where they do their second reversal. And they reverse back on me and kill me. <laughs> yeah, it, it, that was really frustrating. That was, that was a real frustrating part of the game. Um, okay, after the third blue stage, um, now it goes back to the previous set of mazes, uh, except now the maze is pink. And same thing, 
Uh, with the first one, I think the ghosts are vulnerable for, I think, uh, two to four seconds, something like that. Three, you know, one, you know, two to four, three to five, something like that. But at this point, unless you're really, really good and really, really confident in your game, I wouldn't advise trying to lure them in and chase them down and, and eating them all, even though it does give you points. Um, uh, you know, the only thing I would do is, you know, lure them in to just kind of get them all in one particular area, try to eat Blinky after eating a power pellet, try to eat, eat Blinky if you can to keep him off the board, at least for the, oh, what? three to five seconds is going to take for his eyes to get back to the house and for him to regenerate and come back out and chase you, you know, pretty much, you know, at regular speed, accelerate speed and, you know, third gear as I like to call it. Um, then after that, then all of the monsters just reverse field when you eat a power pellet. So now it's basically just going through each, you know, going to each quadrant you know, each quadrant of power pellet is eat that power pellet and eat all the dots in that maze and get out of there because what they'll reverse field, but they'll only stay reversed for so long before they start find, you know, start moving and start trying to converge on your position. And this is where it's more of a pattern than anything else, even though randomized movement, uh, by, Pinky and Blinky at the beginning of the stage sort of dictates where you're going to go. So, um, and it just continues on from there. Like I said, the majority of your points is going to be from whatever fruits come out. And like I said, they're completely random because I've had games where, um, I've gotten nothing more of more point value than a pretzel, which is 700 points. Um, it's all, you know, most of the time it's cherries, strawberries, and peaches, and pretzels. And there have been other games I've played where it's been all, nothing less than an apple. It's been apples, pears, and, uh, and, uh, bananas. And, like I said, that dictates your score. Um, so, you know, it just basically comes down to doing what you can to take care of the problem areas and then running the power, you know, running the power pellets, clearing the area out, moving on to the next area, you know, stopping, you know, what you're doing long enough to eat the fruits, especially if they're high point value, like say an apple or higher, that is worth breaking off of your pattern, quote unquote, uh, long enough to chase down and eat it. Um, anything less than a peach, I wouldn't even bother. Uh, if it's a peach, I'll, like I said before, I'll kind of work my way over to where it, where it's going and, you know, I'll eat it then. But if it's a cherry or strawberry, I'm just not going to bother. Um, the only other thing I would do is eat them just so that, um, when you eat, uh, three quarters of the, uh, dots in the maze, um, whoops, you eat the three quarters of the dots in the maze, uh, the second fruit comes out and... Um, or what is it? Two or is, is it two thirds? It's like two thirds or something like that. 
where now peaking, now blinky speeding up, but the second fruit comes out, and if it's anything lower than and, uh, than a pretzel, I wouldn't even bother because at this point you've got all four ghosts chasing after you, or three ghosts and one completely random chasing you and trying to trap you and. You know, it's not worth chasing after a strawberry uh, on these uh, higher level mazes. And basically it's just wash, rinse, repeat until um, you lose all your lives or if you're good enough, you crash the game. <laughs> um, let's see, my highest score in normal speed Miss Pac-Man is what, about 180,000 points somewhere around there. Um, a high score with a hyper Ms. Pac-Man. Um, a regular hyper Ms. Pac-Man, my high score is somewhere over like 250,000 or something like that. Um, the one, the arcade in Brighton has a hyper Ms. Pac-Man, like I've said a thousand times on this show, with a really funky scoring setup. It's like 25 points per dot. I think it's like 100 for a power pellet. And the ghosts, as you eat them, it's 200, 400, 800, 8,000. So that's where you get the majority of your points if you can lure the ghosts in. And sometimes it's worth taking a risk to chase that fourth ghost down. Uh, but yeah, sometimes, you know, your greed gets better, gets the better of you and you end up killing yourself doing it. Um, so yeah, with that, with that machine, particular machine, my high score is like 858,000 points. I set that score like, uh, what? two weeks ago at the arcade in Brighton. I mean, it's a fun machine to play and it's just, and it's just fun just to watch, you know, to see how high of a score you can get. So, um, those are my tips on Ms. Pac-Man. Those are my strategies. Um, if you have any questions, you have any tips, tricks of your own that you wish to share with the listening audience, uh, by all means, uh, get a hold of me at arcadeaddictbrian at gmail.com. Or you can leave a voicemail. That is 734-743-2433. And finally, buckle in, folks. We're going on the road. folks, Brian here, back on the road. To catch you guys up to speed, I don't know if I explained anything in episode 9, which is currently out, but basically I was out of work for about two and a half months, and running face first into my credit limits while doing so but I'm gainfully employed now I think things are looking up so here I go again on my own going down the only road I've ever known sorry had to do it anyway um what inspired 
me to do this on the road segment is I'm currently driving up Interstate 75 right now in the downriver section of Michigan. And I have a good 21 minutes before I reach my stop, so why not? But the real inspiration was while I'm driving up the highway, I saw someone pulling a trailer and it had the website Brad's Arcades on it. And this guy is a buy, sell, repair, arcade and pinball machine uh, business. And I was like, you know what? That is really cool. This is another sign, at least to me, that arcades are still on the comeback. Um, a couple of weeks ago, I was looking for arcades to visit and review. Um, God only knows when I'm going to get to them because I've got to spend the next several months digging myself out of the debt hole that I found myself in. But I'm going to go to these places. I think I listed like five or six. Um, put them on a, a Word file on my computer to be accessed later. But there are at least three arcades slash barcades in downtown Detroit as we speak. You know, the day being uh, the 5th of uh, April. And there are a couple of places in the Metro Detroit area that I'm curious about that I'm going to check out. And there were at least another three or four places in the Metro Detroit area that they call them arcades, but it's at least 75 to 85% ticket games. And I mean, I've spoken my mind about taking games before, you know, I understand why they do it. And, you know, it's a good way to earn money and it's a good way for uh, kids and their parents and, you know, other people to feel like they're getting a possible return on the investment of playing all these ticket games, which is fine. It's not for me, but it's fine. You know, I mean, that's my main complaint with Pinball Pete's too many ticket games, too many. They need more classic stuff, and it needs to be less expensive, but I've ranted about that too, so I'm going to leave that alone too. Um, so, I mean, just seeing places, as a matter of fact, um, when I was being trained on the uh, route that I have now, um, he pulled over at a right aid in, I want to say it's like Eastern Livonia, Western Farmington Hills, that area. I can't remember exactly the intersection, but the play, the, there was a Rite Aid on the top part of the building, which was, you know, pretty much level with the street. And then there was, um, an incline towards the back of the building. And on the bottom floor 
was a arcade game uh, store. You know, sold pool tables, pinball machines, video game arcade, video, uh, I'm sorry, arcade video games. And I would, and that is encouraging to me. I mean, I've always felt just by going on some, a couple of uh, uh, forums like Atari Age and, um, oh goodness, there's another one I frequent, which name I've completely forgotten, but, um, and going on various um, classic video game and arcade uh, video game uh, groups on Facebook. I always felt that the arcade was starting to make a comeback. And here it is, 2019. I mean, the classic area, area, goodness, the classic era of video games was more or less a five to six or seven year span, starting in 78 and culminating with the crash of 83. Even though in 1983, arcades were still doing good business. I mean, the ramifications of the crash really didn't seriously start until 1985 when the Super Nintendo, excuse me, the Nintendo Entertainment System came out in the United States. And that really started the decline in, for arcades. But you, so you could say it's a seven-year span. If my me personally, I'd say it's mm, arcades didn't seriously start declining until probably about 1986, 80. I'd say 87. I think 87 is when they seriously started to decline. Um, you know, from 87 to I'd say probably 1990 that three-year span, I saw almost all of my favorite arcades shut down. You know, Trouble Mall Arcade closed in, I think, 88 or 89. Um, let's see. Is he, actually, I take that back. Yeah, I think it was 88 because I got, I got my job at the mall in 1990. So... I think the arcade closed in 80, is, I think it's 89. I'm pretty sure it's 89. If anybody out there knows the exact date or at least exact year, drop me a line at arcadeaddictbrian at gmail.com. Let me know. Or get a hold of me on Facebook or Twitter or Tumblr, Instagram, however you do your social media. I, have a, I usually have a presence there. But anyway, um, me personally, yeah, I think the real death of the arcades started in probably about 1989 or 88 and just went all the way through because let's see, Trumbull Mall Arcade closed down, Spanky's moved and was a shell of its former self. Um, let's see what else, um, the Milford, excuse me, the Connecticut Pulse Mall Arcade, I think, shut down. 
although it was going to be resurrected later as Tilt, which is in another part of the mall, as I found out, I think in like 1990 or 91, somewhere in there. Um, Milford Wreck was still going along, but I know they were hurting. But by this time, they had diversified enough that it was more of a pure entertainment center rather it being an arcade. I mean, by 1989, 88, 89, 90, they had batting cages, they had, um, um, like a bump, they had bumper cars, they had rides, they had a legitimate children's area, which did have a couple games in it, but that was more for kids' birthday parties. They had the Nathan's hot dog place in there. So they diversified enough, but still stayed in stayed in their lane, so to speak, enough to where you know they weren't one, relying 100% on arcade machines. Because when I went back in 2001, um, you know, I borrowed my cousin's car. And I basically went and, you know, visited my best friend. We hung out for several hours. I went over, I just went to Milford Rec just to see the see if it was still there, and it was. But, you know, it wasn't doing anywhere near the business as it was when I was a kid, which was unfortunate. And, of course, it finally shut down for good and got demolished in 2005, which is unfortunate I wish somehow some way it could have held on but then again it would have had to hold on for another 10 to 12 years because I think arcades didn't really seriously start making a comeback till probably about 2015 or 2016 I mean there were arcades around but I think arcades like Fun Spot in uh, New Hampshire and Galloping Ghost in Chicago um, they kind of showed the way in that you can have an arcade and it can make really decent business at least enough to break even and keep the lights on and keep the games going and pay the employees at the very least you know, and this is how you do it. Instead of it being token-driven or uh, quarter-driven, you do the free play option. You pay a flat fee, you can stay in there as long as you like, and you can play until your hands fall off, if you're so inclined. So, um... For a place like Milford Rec, yeah, I think they, I think especially when the economy took a crap in 2007, well, even the economy took a crap in 2007, but the economy was kind of on the decline through the early 2000s. You know, pretty much ever since 2003, I want to say, when, you know, we decided to go over to Afghanistan and things just started going downhill from there. I mean, it all culminated with the banks 
being quote unquote too big to fail and you know all of a sudden billions and billions of dollars are gone are just gone people's retirement funds are just vapor now in the air and you know the economy took a crap you know that was 2007 so I don't think if Milford Wreck had still tried to hold on I don't think it would have would have made it through the recession I don't think there was any way possible but just just for argument's sake or just for you know just for a flight of fancy or for craps and giggles whatever term you want to use I mean if they were able to make it through all that and get to the era of I want to call it a renaissance I can't quite bring myself to do it yet but when I go to places like the Arcade Brighton and they're doing pretty serious business every night I mean I went to the Arcade Brighton what two weeks ago yeah or was it a week ago was it that last Sunday no it was two Sundays ago um my I took my my godson up there and you know we made a day of it um you know just as an aside you know nothing different nothing uh nothing to write home about really I just you know had some fun I didn't put up any serious scores or anything like that which is why I didn't do uh a segment about it um but like I said to my point arcades like Galloping Ghost which is now like what how many machines now like 708 709 or something like that um you know, they showed the way. Pay this amount of money. You can play as long as you like. You know, you can even leave the arcade, go get something to eat, you know, take a break and come back and play more if you want. And it's awesome. I mean, you know, the arcade in Brighton, you know, whether it was me or whether it was something they saw, you know, like, uh, like, um, you know, like, uh, Doc Mac, who runs Galloping Ghost, who, by the way, for those who don't know, he just opened up a pinball arcade, and apparently that's doing, you know, serious business, because it's just all pinball machines, um, you know, so Doc Mac, who runs the Galloping Ghost Corporation, and at this point it's becoming a corporation with all this, the interests he has, um, I don't know why he hasn't just straight up bought the town of Brookfield right now, and I even said it, I even said it in a comment on Facebook, I said, if I had a guaranteed job, I'd move to Brookfield, Illinois, I would, I mean, it's, it's my dream to own an arcade, and for a lot of people who, you know, for those who are listening, those who are of an age with me, you know, say like from 38 to like, say 55, you know, 
and who loved video games when they were kids and they were around for all of the things that went down in the set in the 80s and into the 90s and so forth you understand I mean th to me that would be my dream if I had the money I need probably I think I probably need close to five million dollars to pull it off <laughs> you know to get the you know to get the site maybe an existing building but it probably have to be built up you know to find the right place because that is where you where you will where that arcade will make or break it you know it's location 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 you know number one and of course having the proper facilities for it number two and then having the games number three and then hiring the right staff to run it number four those are like paramount in running a good arcade um speaking of that yeah i think the guy in the arcade said that he was going to hire you know hire some people for that place that's interesting that tells me they're really doing good business because when i lost my job in uh well, I quit my previous job, my previous job in December because I had an opportunity somewhere else and it didn't work out. Um, I went, I just went up to the arcade one day on a lark and I asked the guy, if, you know, you know, they had any positions at the time they didn't, but now that's changed, which is very interesting. Um, but that's the key. You have to have a good spot to where it is as to where the arcade is you have to have a good staff to run it you've got to have the games and your ratio your percentage of games that work properly to, against those that don't has to be at least 95% because that's what makes or breaks an arcade as well is that your machines and I know it's tricky because you're dealing with 20, 30, in some cases, 40-year-old machines that you're trying to keep going. And just from watching John's Arcade, where he's fixing machines, you know, he's constantly fixing machines because his basement is like a full, you know, a, a decent-sized arcade now. I think his game total is somewhere in the 30s probably 40s maybe even 50 but you know a decent sized arcade has to have at least 30 machines maybe maybe more I mean a good arcade like Milford Rec had over a hundred at, at the peak at the height of its powers a place I mean Galloping Ghost is the world's biggest arcade at set over 700 machines God, I, I think about maybe in, next year in 2020, once I think my situation stabilizes, I'm going to have to take uh, uh, a vacation out there. I'm going to have to go out to Chicago, hang out with Jack Danger, hang out with Greg Hansen, you know, go to Galloping Ghost meet and or interview Doc Mac because that's one of the things I want to do, you know, 
God bless Greg Hansen. He's probably going to be the first interview for my podcast. Um, God bless him because the guy is, he's always been cool. Ever since I met him on Twitch, you know, we talked a little bit and I got to know him a little bit. I don't know him well at all, but at least to me, I mean, Greg's younger than me, but Greg is one of those dudes who I would have just always wanted to hang out with at an, you know, at an arcade, like, like my friend Mark, because I was always hanging out with Mark, you know, because Mark, Mark was cool, and Greg seems like he's the same kind of guy, you know, he's really cool, you know, he knows his stuff, you know, he's a video game master in his own right, and he... You know, I'm looking forward to doing that interview, which which reminds me, I need to DM him on Instagram and uh, ask him, you know, when a good time is. And then I have to do my homework. <laughs> I've got to get the questions. I mean, I mean, I think it's, I think I know how that interview is going to go because, you know, one of us is going to start reminiscing and then one of us is going to say, oh, I remember that. Do you remember this? Oh, I remember that. And we're just going to go off and, you know, be off and running and have a really good conversation. I want to do it Joe Rogan style, but I'm nowhere near as good at that as Joe Rogan. I mean, Joe Rogan is a comedian first before anything else, before he's a a UFC commentator, before he's a podcaster, he's a comedian. So he already has the leg up socially. You know, he's really good at having conversations and asking questions during the conversation and it doesn't sound so much like an interview you know and I want to be I want to do uh I want to do uh the interview with Greg in that kind of style hopefully it comes off stay tuned um so getting back to my whole point um a good sized arcade has to have at least 30 30 games you know, if you're going to call yourself an arcade, you have to have at least 30. Um, and you just go up from there. I mean, Fun Spot's one of the world's biggest. You know, Galloping Ghost is the biggest, even though there were tons of people in the beginning who, you know, kind of poo-pooed uh, Galloping Ghost because apparently all their machines weren't working. So, you know, I think they've gotten, I think Doc and his crew have kind of gotten a hold on that, and now they're going to be doing things like, um, I forget what they called it, but they're basically going to have it to where they're going to have cameras set up so that you can basically, they can basically stream on Twitch, uh, from each machine, rather than the setup they have now, which is basically a camera, tripod, lighting, that kind of stuff. You know, and I mean, that's why I want to talk to Doc, man, because I'm like, dude, you have to be the most ambitious son of a bitch I know. I mean, as far as, you know, being in the video game arcade business, you have to, you've got all of these dreams and all of these plans and you just execute them. It's one thing to have plans and have dreams. It's another thing to go out and actualize them, you know? But I'm just like, you know, that's why I want to get a hold of Doc Mac and ask him if he'll do an, you know, do an interview for the show. Because 
I'm really, really interested in this. I mean, when it comes down to it, I would love to do... I would love to just interview people in video gaming lore, in history. I mean, I have a short list as it is right now. I want to I want to interview Eugene Jarvis. I want to interview Nolan Bushnell. You know, I want to, you know, just interview all the people who had, who were there during the boom, who were there during the bust, you know, during the crash, the aftermath. What, you know, how did you keep your hand in and all things like that. I want to do that. I want to interview guys like Doc Beck. I want to interview Jack Danger, you know, even though I know that's going to get silly. I mean, you know, I want to do all these things, you know, and I want to bring it to the people who will appreciate it. You know, all you guys out there who are listening to this podcast, who have, you know, a, a love and a passion for arcades and video games, you know, that at the very least equal mine, if not surpass it. Okay, I'm going to stop, so I'm going to pause it here. Okay, I'm back. Yeah, I had three pickup stops within like half a mile of each other, so I just thought I'd knock them all out before I got back on the mic, so to speak. So, now, I've, of course, I've lost my complete train of thought, so I'm going to start again. Um, I mean, I'm, I'm hoping that you guys will take the ride along with me. You know, I've got more arcades to go to. i got people to interview. I've got more stories. I mean, I have things planned out all the way out to at least episode 25. Um, I think I probably have enough stuff to go all the way to 50, if not longer. And I'm going to, of course, sprinkle in, you know, reviews. If anything, you know, really big happens in, you know, the world of arcades, it's really newsworthy, of course. You know, I'll report it and I'll put my own little spin on it. You know, my opinions and so forth, because, well, if any, if... I'm anything, I'm opinionated. What can I say? Um, so yeah, I mean, I've got a list of people that I want to interview. Um, and I'm hoping that I can get through them and bring that out to you guys. And hopefully, hopefully, you know, it won't be like every other interview we've heard with these people. I mean... You know, I'm just thinking about the the conversation I'm going to have with Jack Danger, which is going to be very interesting, especially if alcohol is involved on any level between the two of us, because God only knows what, God only knows what'll come out. I mean, I've caught, I've seen Jack when he's, shall we say, in his cups and yeah, (laughs) you know. I love him, but yeah, he has a tendency to overshare when he's drunk, and he, I think he knows that by now, because I think he's gotten in trouble a couple of times for saying stuff he really shouldn't have said, but anyway, that, that, regardless of that, I mean, I'm looking forward to the conversation with, you know, with Greg Hansen, that's going to be a good one, um, 
I mean, even though he's been interviewed a bunch of times because he was one of the first people on uh, YouTube to sort of make a series about acquiring video games and putting them in his basement. I mean, he even said it himself. He says it in his the intro to his to his show, Arcade Impossible. You know, he's always dreamed about owning his own arcade. And, you know, with the help of some friends and with the help, you know, and finding good deals. I mean, I still remember him getting a freaking cocktail freaking asteroids machine for $25 because it wouldn't work properly. And basically he and a friend of his basically reseeded all the chips on, on the circuit boards and it worked. You know, I was like, wow, <laughs> that's crazy. I mean, considering, you know, that a fully functioning asteroids machine brand new back in 1979 was like two grand, maybe three. Uh, and to get it for 25 bucks and just do a little work with the chips and getting it working. I mean, talk about a bargain. Talk, he, he literally stole that. He might as well have broken in that guy's house and just took it in the dead of the night and brought it home and got it working. Because, you know, yeah, he stole, he, he up and stole that thing. But anyway, um, and if I ever make my fortune, you know, yes, that's one of the things I want to do. I want to, you know, I want to make it our, you know, I want to have an arcade for, of my own, you know, have, and be, you know, and have people come to it and play the games and have fun and enjoy themselves, whether they're, you know, little kids or they're borderline old guys like me, either way, you know, that's what I want, that's what I really want more than anything else, you know, I mean, aside from, you know, seeing my son become, you know, a really good human being, you know, who can think for himself, do for himself, and, you know, be successful in whatever venture he decides to commit himself to, that, that I think is probably priority one at this point, (laughs) you know, I mean, me being 50 years old, and there's a lot of more, lot more years behind me than there are ahead of me. You know, I'm not being morbid. I'm just spitting truth. You know, you start thinking in that way, especially when you have kids. You know, and I had kids late in life. You know, my my son was born when I was 45. And you know, yeah, I just want the best for best for the kid. So yeah, that's priority one. But I mean, yeah, I I would love to run an arcade, you know, as a business, and just bring, just bring joy to other people who were there when these games came out, have them relive their childhood a little bit, and then on top of that, I want the future generations to say, hey, we didn't always have Call of Duty 3, we didn't always have Fortnite. We always we didn't always have World of Warcraft. This is what we had and it was awesome. And 
if you don't particularly like what you know like classic arcade games you know and you're in the younger generations that's fine but you damn well better respect it because without the games that I grew up with and that I came to love and that I'm pretty passionate about without those games you don't have what you have now not even close you wouldn't have Elite Dangerous without Space Invaders you wouldn't have um you know you wouldn't have uh oh I can't even think of a good a really good modern day shooter but I mean you wouldn't have the games you have without what without what came before it and just for that reason you should give respect to what it is even if you're not going to like it or play it honestly you should because I I there's nothing more I love than seeing kids who are like <clears throat> excuse me you know six seven eight years old you know you know in places like pinball Pete's in places like the arcade in Brighton and they're just as excited about these games in the modern day as I was when that was cutting edge gaming technology. And nothing brings a smile to my face more than that. I mean, it's awesome just to see it. And just to see these kids just, you know, enjoying the games and having all kinds of fun. You know? I mean... That's what gives me hope for video game arcades in the future. That's what really gives me hope. And this all started by seeing a guy in his in his pickup truck, or not in his pickup, in his SUV, uh, driving north on Interstate 75, pulling his trailer, probably got a couple of machines in the back. And he's running, and he's running a business of sales and repair of classic video games and pinball machines. You know, nothing. It's that kind of stuff that gives me hope that that the at least the history of this genre is not going to is not going to begin with uh, EverQuest or World of Warcraft. You know that yeah, there is a rich history. I mean, they made several several dozen books on the, the business, or excuse me, the business, the history of video games. I have a few of them. And, it, and I remember when I bought those books, you know, bought those books off Amazon, and I'm sitting there reading them, and I'm like, yeah, I remember this. I remember that. You know, yeah, this is awesome. And, I mean, there was, I guess there was a part of me that just had the fear that as technology progresses, because right now you can pretty much play any of the classic video games, albeit not in some, most cases legally, some cases not, but you can play them on your cell phone now. I mean, the experience isn't quite there because golly knows can, cell phones aren't exactly what I would call uh, sharp as far as controls go. 
I mean, you can play them on your gaming consoles. And I think that's also part of what's keeping it going. Is that, you know, these games are still being put out there. I mean, I was looking at my, <clears throat> excuse me, I was looking at my PS2 last night, which is, you know, in my bedroom. And I've got, I think I have more games for my PS2 than I had for my Atari 2600. <laughs> now, now that I think about it, the only system that I had that had more games and it was by an order of magnitude was my Commodore 64. You know, I, the games I had for my Commodore 64 probably numbered in the thousands, four digits, you know, and on, you know, floppy disks that are sitting in a container sitting in my closet, you know, and I'm still trying to find a functioning disk drive to, you know, have them, make them work. And bridging a Commodore 64 to your PC is not exactly what I call a easy undertaking. Not even close. But either way. And even now I think about it, you know, Commodore 64 has been, had most of their stuff you know, put into emulation, you know, I think that's what's keeping it, keeping these things alive, is that most of these classic systems are being put into, uh, oh, but yeah, I was saying about my PS2, um, and I'm thinking about it, I'm looking at all the anthologies I have, I have, what, the Atari anthology, which has, uh, hundred, you know, like, I think it's like something like 80 games or something like that, plus, you know, the arcade games, plus the 2600 games, which was awesome. I loved it. It's, that's one of the best anthologies ever put out. Um, I've got Tato Legends, one and two. I've got, uh, Williams Arcade Classics, one and two, you know, because I wanted those games because, you know, I'm an old, I'm an old head when it comes to arcades, or arcade games. I am, and I always will be. I'm not going to be one of these, hey, you whippersnappers or never know what you, what you, what, what it was like. I'll never be one of those guys, I don't think, at least not, I, I don't have the age yet. I think when I get up in, get up into my seventh or eighth decade, then I have the right to do that because God only knows if I'm 70, 80 years old and I can still get around, I'm probably still going to be going to arcades, you know, just to play X, Y, or Z. But either way, um, I think those anthologies, because I think it's one of those things that was sold more for the parents of the kid who... Who, uh, for whom they bought the Xbox 360, you know, the Xbox One, the PS3, the PS4, and what is to come in the future, you know, because each one, every one of those systems has those anthologies, you know, the, excuse me, the Sega anthology, you know, like I said, the Atari, the Atari anthology, you know, the Tato anthology, the Capcom classics, one and two. So, and it just goes, keeps going on down the line. I love it. It's awesome because it keeps those games out there. They're not just in an arcade somewhere. They're not just in the back corner of, 
a mom and pop store somewhere. You know, they're still out there. They're still relevant. And it's wonderful to see. I mean, I couldn't be happier because of that. Because it's just wonderful to know that even watching, even going to, you know, going to arcades, you know, I see all these young kids playing the classic games and having fun with them. It's awesome to see. Because there was a time where I thought this was stuff was just going to fade away into some sort of obscurity and, you know, that was going to be that. Then it was, you know, just on to the newest thing. I'm glad that that's not the case anymore. So, yeah, I mean, just stay tuned, folks. I mean, I'm going to be, once I get things uh, on a more even keel as far as, you know, work and, be, and paying bills and things like that, once I get on more even keel and I'm able to actually go out to these places, you know, these places in Detroit and Metro Detroit and finding these and finding these uh, places and finding out what they're all about. Yeah, stay tuned. Absolutely, folks. So for now, as I'm running through traffic with idiots on I-75 and trying to keep my company vehicle from getting smashed into pieces, this is Brian signing off saying... Good gaming. Have fun out there. Au revoir. This has been the Confessions of an Arcade Addict podcast. All music has been provided by Kevin McLeod. You can find his music at incompetech.com. You can contact the show by email at arcadeaddictbrian at gmail.com or you can call and leave a voicemail at 734-743-2433. Until next time, you have been listening to the Confessions of an Arcade Addict podcast.